This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Reporting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, it's time for the THN Nerd News Recap with your two-headed reporter, Joe and Matt. Welcome to the THN Nerd News Recap. It is Saturday, August 26th, and I am always your head number one. That's not true, Barry. My name is Matt Palm. Yeah, yeah, you're not always anything, I buddy. I said I was lying. Today, I happen to be your head number two. You may know me as the Internet's Joe Patrick. We begin this week with Blue Beetle Box Office News. We are going to change the world with the power of the scarab. Last weekend, Blue Beetle dethroned Barbie at the number one spot, but it also bombed. This is the last of the two DCEU films, although depending on which comic gossip site you read, this is all part of James Gunn's universe, right? I mean, we'll talk about that in a second here. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Blue Beetle finally knocked the Barbie movie off number one spot with a $25.1 million weekend at the box office, missing its estimated $30 million mark, which still would have been a bomb. Joe, I have not seen Blue Beetle yet. It is well-reviewed. Why did no one go see this movie? And let's call her shot. Do we see this Blue Beetle again? I don't necessarily prescribe to the idea that just because a character is in a movie that fails, that we'll never see that character again in another project. So, yeah, I think it's possible that James Gunn will work him in there somewhere. This movie, Blue Beetle, first of all, is good. It's, 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 it's very good fun. And it's full of heart and it's charming. Um, it's not perfect. There's got, a, it's got a lot of flaws. It's got like the villain sucks. Why did nobody go see it though? That's the thing. I mean, it's well, well reviewed. I think- I, is it because DC's reputation is so smashed right now that people just have given up? Because I'll tell you, even knowing it's good, I feel no urgency to go see this film whatsoever because I've been so let down by all the projects that I have seen recently. Oh, well, that's the thing is like, I don't think anybody should rush out to see it, right? There's plenty of other things to see that sure. you'll have a harder time. Uh, like you that know, that movie probably a bigger pri- priority. James, yeah, right. The, the James Sound of QAnon film. Yeah. Sound of, <laughs> yeah, Sound of Freedom. People know, some people know on some level because of the way DC is talking about this stuff, that we're just marking time until James Gunn does his thing. I think the nerds that really would get excited about this and push any heat are doing just that. They're going, I'm just going to wait. I don't care. I'm burnt. I want to see the new stuff. Barely care. And I think I, the normies, see, the muggles that. that are out there, I think there's no way the Blue Beetle has the same cultural cachet as Barbie does. And well, this right. just didn't have a lot of... Look, I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone that was in the film. There's no major star power, and your character is Blue Beetle. Whatever, dude. George Lopez uh-huh. is in it. But Susan Sarandon is in it. Uh-huh. As the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, this did not have a lot going for it. Plus, add in DC's com- repeated failures and depreciating values at the you know weekly box office. I don't think this had a hope and a prayer, quite honestly. They should have waited. They should have said, you know what? We're going to push pause on this. And if it's going to be part of the James Gunn thing, fine. Wait, put out Aquaman because Momoa is in it and he will carry some 
star power. I still think Aquaman probably tanks too, but then you could do this later. There was no rush to do it if it's going to be part of anything. Now, as far as it being part of any of James Gunn's plan, from what I understand, all James Gunn did was like, hey, these are cities from the DC universe (laughs) that we can name or something along those lines? No, 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 nothing like that. He had very little to do with this, right? James Gunn was asked about things like the location of Metropolis and Gotham City in relation to each other, in relation to Smallville. And Gunn said, yeah, man, we have a, we have a map, like we have a map of the DC universe, you know? And so for some reason, that's a new story. Like, yes, they've planned where these cities are geographically in the new D and like, we got all these clickbait stories about it. And look, I'm, I'm, more on that I'm, clickbait I, later. <laughs> I, I get as angry as the next nerd when they say that Smallville is an hour's drive away from Metropolis. Like, knock that shit off. But yeah, it, that's not this. That's that had nothing to do with Blue Beetle. No, that is I not think news. that. But I watched this movie, and there is literally not one thing in it that would preclude it from being part of James Gunn's new DCU. Fair. Like, there's no. They they name drop characters. They say Batman. They say Superman. They say Flash, but they don't reference anything that happened. They don't talk about Steppenwolf or whatever. Wonder like, Woman raping that guy. <laughs> you know? right, yeah, right. Uh, they don't. Yeah, like there's no mention. There's nothing in the movie that ties it specifically to the Snyderverse, and yeah. so I think that. I don't know how it works. I, I know that movies get moved around all the time. I, uh, and so I don't know how it works as far as like this one was too having, late. it was just too late. They had already rented spaces in the theater. Right. That's what I mean. Right. It. It's like yeah. they, they've already reserved that spot or whatever. I don't, and so they had to do something, right? They couldn't. They couldn't just say we're not going to release it until. I mean, I think they Superman the, comes out. I think they could have had the wherewithal after Shazam to be like, "All right, we have a serious problem here. It's time to slam the brakes." Well, no, I mean, I agree with you there, but I don't know, like, logistically, yeah. what's involved in in making that kind of decision. Like, you right. can't just will will your movie to come out in a in a certain time frame without talking to studios and theater owners and blah 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 blah. So. I don't know, man. It's a great, it's a great fun movie. It's not like something you need to rush out to see. I think that fans of Ted Cord and the Blue Beetle Mythos will be very, very happy. It's just a shame. Like, I don't think it really had a prayer being no. released in the shadow of Barbie at all. No. And I, I don't think there is enough goodwill right now for the existing DC universe, especially after Flash. Yeah, they got people a, to care. They've got a lot of work to do. Even when the new stuff starts, they have got a it, lot of work yeah. to do. And and you know what? And another thing, and I, I I hope this isn't the case, but this is also a movie that it is primarily featuring, like overwhelmingly starring people of color. There's a lot of Spanish language. Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's a full Latin American cast. It. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's written. It's written starring. Well, I don't know who wrote it, but it's directed and starring a cast full of Latinx people. It's full of Spanish talking, uh, you know, people speaking Spanish. And I don't know if that 
made a difference. I really hope that that's not I doubt the case, it. But I, I kind of doubt that, honestly. I don't know, man. I, like, I think it's just Blue Beetle's cachet um, is Americans not, be racist, bro. I don't know. I don't disagree. So. I just think Blue Beetle's cachet is not what they hoped it was. They don't have any major star power behind this, and they're in a very bad position with four major losers in a row. And news that, don't worry, good stuff's on the horizon. We just have to crap the rest of this out. I, yeah, I, I, I think, I think the biggest, I think the biggest culprit is the idea that like, like you said, people saying, don't worry. Yeah. Things are, ha- things are coming. Well, if things are coming, then why should I care about what you're doing right now? Exactly. So yeah, it's a shame. We are no Jedi. In TV news, Ahsoka dropped on Disney Plus this week with its two-episode premiere. And so it's time for another spoiler-free nerd TV review. Matt Baum, what did you think of episodes one and two? So I went into this at frustrated, quite honestly, because after the last season of Mandalorian, where I was told I had to learn... 17 years of cartoon you know, continuity to know what was going to happen. And I got all prepped and I did all the work and I learned all this stuff. And then they did none of it. They did absolutely none of it. They just buttoned it up and went, there's your Mandalorian story. And it wasn't even very good. It was fine at best. I went into this ready to hate it. After two episodes, I love what I have seen and I do not care at all that I don't know shit about Rebels. I don't care. I think they're doing a good enough job just setting up interesting characters in interesting situations that I know there's background for that I'm on board. I'm ready to watch. I love the creepy little girl Jedi. She's terrifying. I love her. Oh, yeah. They're not Sith, right? That is the thing. Is that like there's... I don't know. The Ahsoka, they're not. They're not. But they're also not Jedi. There's an Ahsoka... They're not Jedi, but they are force users. And that is something yeah. that rebels, that's something that rebels dealt with. That's the idea that the there are area, force right? users throughout the galaxy that are not necessarily, you know, to one extreme or the other. Right. Uh, there's a, we have a discussion thread on the discord. And I absolutely think that if, after you've watched the episodes, you should go jump in because uh, Keith Binder, who I, is the Ziggurats resident, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings authority is laying down some essential knowledge and very interesting theories about things. And the discussion has been great. That's something I will say. This show is not accessible. And I mean, what I mean by that is uh, like, uh, like I'm like you, I don't care because I grew up reading comic books where I would get random shit off the spinner rack at the quick shop. Sure. Right. We've talked about it a lot of times. Every comic is somebody's first and uh, figuring out the backstory as you go is part of the fun for guys like you and me. Sure. Yeah. And this show just like drops you in and does not actually explain a goddamn thing well, about Ahsoka, about how the the relationships, I mean, the, sure. the past history of, of like um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and the gal that plays Sabine and like, there's so much, um, there are so, there's so much interpersonal stuff going on and history being referenced that I can understand why some viewers might be turned off. Okay. I think I disagree with you here because if we like, let's think about star Wars, just as we know it, how does every star Wars movie start with a giant information crawl 
that basically says, here's all the stuff that was going on before the movie started. Don't worry about it. We just told you what you need to know. Go. And sure, we, well, yeah, and we, knew about the over, we knew about the overriding stuff, Luke and Leia and whatnot, but every movie was just like, oh shit, they're on Hoth? They're, this is going on? And then like, oh shit, Return of the Jedi? They jumped to get, you know, yeah, you know I what mean, I mean? I think they're executing it. I think. They're executing it in such a way that if you want to go be that nerd and dig in and do all the stuff and watch the show and read about Rebels and learn about Rebels, you will be rewarded for that. I think they're also smart enough to know no, we are not going to dig that far deep into it because most people like Matt's wife are just going to sit here and watch that and go, I really like Rosario Dawson in that. I really like that little blonde Jedi girl. She's scary. <laughs> you know, like, and like, give us yeah. the action, give us the fun. The music is outstanding. Like this feels like star Wars. A lot of the Mandalorian and all of the Boba Fett did not feel like star Wars to me. It veered off. I think Dave Filoni directing this is an excellent choice and he's setting up some great stuff and like i said you want to know more there's plenty more to dig into but i don't think you're going to need to i don't think you need to at all have fun well i i think there's going to be two types of viewers there's going to be people like us there's going to be people like you and me that welcome the challenge of filling in those gaps and then there's going to be people like casey who are more casual fans or aren't interested in uh, digging deep into the back, the, the long and, and storied lore and not know what's going on and be mad about it. Now, I agree with you that there, the show is so compelling, a fan is going to be rewarded mm-hmm. if, they, if they do some of that homework. Because I'll tell you what I did the second I finished watching Ahsoka episode two. I went to Disney+, Plus. I went to uh, the Star Wars uh, channel, and it right there is like Ahsoka Tano essential episodes or yeah. whatever. It's yeah. however it's phrased. And there's a bunch of episodes of, of uh, Clone Wars, which you can watch depending on your tolerance for the Clone Wars cartoon. There's several episodes of Rebels. There's also three installments of Tales of the Jedi, which is a more recent animated uh, show where they did like little shorts, like 20 minute shorts. Right. And there's three of them about Ahsoka and it's uh, from like her birth to her uh, to post order 66 after Padme's death. And she, she comes back to to Naboo for the funeral, even though she's a fugitive. And I'm telling you what, those three little shorts, those 20 minute shorts, that is an hour well worth your time because they are amazing. Fair. And like, yeah. So yes, I, I wanted to go back and, and dig into that lore and, and fill in that knowledge. Like I want to know about all of the relationships uh, from Star Wars Rebels and Clone Wars, and how these characters evolved. It's it's so good, man. Yeah, it's so good. No, I think they're off to a fantastic start, and uh, we we will see how much you do need to know before this is all tied up. Cause I think there was stuff that ended in the Mandalorian, even people that were huge fans that were like, I know all the backstory and stuff. And like, they're going to do this. They're going to do it. Oh, they didn't do any of it. Oh, <laughs> like, I guess it was a good show, but they didn't do any of that stuff. I wanted, I don't even really remember how the, I don't even really remember what happened in the Mandalorian. Cause season. it wasn't very memorable. It was, there was a lot of stuff. And they, <laughs> they did a lot of swimming and fighting pterodactyls. I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, so I think they figured it out. I think Filoni knows what he's doing, and I hope they're going to take a 
more cautious approach, just like they were saying with the Marvel TV shows. You know, we need to be more thoughtful and cautious about what we're doing. This feels very thoughtful, feels very cautious, feels very Star Wars. And you know what? You got lightsabers, you got badass droids, you got all the stuff we want, and, oh, and they're not doing the bullshit. If you are on TikTok at all, even if you don't have to have a TikTok account, you can just go to TikTok. I'm and not watch a pervert, it. so I stay off TikTok. It whatever, <laughs> but uh, the this week TikTok has been full of little videos like showing like this is this is the parallels between this scene in Rebels and this scene in Ahsoka and how the mural scene that happens at the end of this episode is the exact same moment just being depicted in live action versus cartoon from the rebels finale. And like everything that's happened in the Mandoverse since it started, including book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka episodes one and two takes place in the time jump in the final episode of star Wars rebels. And it's like amazing stuff. But my favorite thing of all, are all of the videos set to like fun little songs about how Chopper, the droid that helps uh, pilot Hera's little ship or whatever. Is that Mary Elizabeth Winstead's ship? Ma- Mary Elizabeth Winstead's okay. ship. The one with the little arms. <laughs> uh, yeah, is a fucking war criminal. <laughs> oh, okay. Canoni- canonically, the, that droid canonically is responsible for over 50,000 deaths. Jesus. I know. It's amazing. Okay. <laughs> Little space Hitler yeah. droid. <laughs> I mean, I know it's 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 bonkers, but like yeah, it, check check out the backstory, man. You guys will love it. If you even if you had any affection for the first two episodes, whether you really loved it or you liked it with reservations because you don't think you know everything that's going on, dig deep, man. It's so fun. Fair enough. I will also say, if you don't want to, you can still have a good time. That's all the way. Well, ask. sure. I mean, yeah. Engage with it on your yeah, own. Take care of both. You know, take care speed, of the hardcore you know? fans yeah. and the people that just want to watch a good show with lightsabers. Moving over to comic news. If you've been paying attention, you probably saw the dumpster fire that <laughs> ignited at CBR this week. When earlier, an unnamed disgruntled member of the CBR staff dropped a now-deleted tweet that shed a little light on what's been going on behind the scenes since the site was purchased by its new corporate master, Valnet. The tweet read, Despite rumors to the contrary, we have not eliminated our news section. We simply fired all the news editors who didn't resign in protest and have been slowly gutting our other departments as Valnet continues CBR's shift to an AI-driven, clickbait-focused content mill. (laughs) Yikes! Uh, Joe, I can't say that it's ever been a particularly golden age for comics journalism, but are we living through the dark ages? And if so, when does the quickening start? Because this is bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, comic book journalism is a shambles right now. And I think I'm hard-pressed to name more than one or two yeah. decent sources for and like, comics Look, journalism. I get it. Comic book journalism is tough because there's no money in it. I understand. That's why all no these all these sites have merged into video game, Hollywood, you know, wrestling, comics. It happened toys. in Newsarama. Newsarama got yep. bought. Newsarama got bought, and now they're part of the same games radar kind of corporate umbrella. 
Jonah Weiland, who founded CBR, sold CBR to Valnet years ago, many years ago. Yeah, 2016. And it's and so it has been a slow decline into mediocrity. But it's also, and, I mean, look across the board. It's not just comics journalism. This is how online clickbait works. You know, like BuzzFeed, perfect example. They were doing this before it was cool. CBR and all these Valnet and all these other companies just basically copied their model and went, we can apply this to anything. Slap it on news, slap it on fashion, slap it on entertainment. Why can't it work for comics? I'm not defending them. It's disgusting, but let's not forget back in the day when they were comic book resources before they were CBR, they won three Eisners for comic book journalism in 2009, 2011, 2014. And now like I get it. And it, I don't feel good about anybody losing their job, but this is not new. CBR has been trash for a while now, and now it's getting trashier. And I totally get like, again, I don't want anybody to lose their job, but I totally get why people are railing. It's this AI clickbait bullshit. Because like, if you read those screen rant articles that they put out constantly, which are in my news feed for some reason, because I read comics or whatever. And it's like, fans are upset with Wolverine not appearing in Miss Marvel because we're like, where is this coming from? You literally just picked two popular names and made an article. Did a robot write this? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I, I know that it's nothing new. Like the commodification of, of news is not a, a new thing. No. It, uh, you know, the 24 hour news cycle is a real bitch, you sure, know? And sure. so that's why we get things. It's not even uh, a 24 like, hour news cycle anymore. No, it's right, like a 15 yeah, yeah. minute news cycle. Right. But you know, that's, and that's why we have things now like TMZ and, and Perez Hilton and blah, blah, blah. And, it, and it's all it, like, this has been happening for years now and now it's happening to comics and Yes, it's been going on for a while, but this is the first time I think that we've actually seen somebody in the know yes. speak up and say, yeah, this is bad. You, like, I know that it sounds bad, it's, but it's worse than you think. Yeah. And, the, the dumpster um, has been on fire. This is the first time we saw someone throw a match in it. Right. It's, yeah, it's been smoldering. It's been you know sparking and smoldering for a while, yeah. and, and now it is ablaze. Yeah, boy. It's a sad state of affairs. And and look, I'm not trying to sound like this is not me tooting our horn or trying to play heroes or saying we do it right or anything like that. But because hey, because we don't report the news. I, I'm, that's, I'm just I'm setting this up. Yeah. Everyone that did quit in solidarity or got fired or got laid off, go start your own site. Please write some good comic journalism. Please, there's people that want to read it. I'm not going to tell you you're going to be a millionaire. I'm not going to tell you you're going to make any money on it. We literally give a podcast away and beg for people to give us $1 a month to support us. But if you love it, there is a void. It is out there. Please fill it with some good comic journalism. And let's take the power yeah. back from these people that are obviously generating this clickbait bullshit that never ends. It just never ends. And I find it hard and to believe I, anyone is enjoying it outside of the Snyder right. bros are like, thanks for keeping it alive. AI. <laughs> you know? Right. Like we said, there are sites out there that are doing it right. And, and people will, you ask 10 people, they'll recommend 10 different things. Yeah, right? Comics beat comics beats doing a great uh, job. 
I want to specifically point out a comics beat and how like Heidi McDonald has, uh, she left CBR to, st- to start the beat. It became a very well-regarded site, but also very difficult to maintain because it's expensive to sure. run a website. Sure. And it's expensive to pay writers and all this stuff. She's moved to a Patreon model and I think thrives because of it. Where yes. Now people are supporting her directly rather than her trying to. I support, support her directly with my money monthly because they do a good job, you know? From a fan perspective, support the journalists that you want to support. It's important. And from a journalistic perspective, you know, it, like it's war in the trenches out there. But if you love it enough and you want to actually make a go of it, maybe that's a great way to do it is to like take the audience you have. If you are like a well-known writer at Newsarama or CBR or whatever, and start your own website with a Patreon and see what happens. Absolutely. We know who the, we know who's doing a shitty job of it. Do not be upset about leaving those who are doing a shitty job of it. Go do a better job. That's all I'm saying. You've got it in you. The magic's been in you all along, okay? Yeah, that's right. That's right. His name's Sabretooth. Wolverine knows him and hates him. Did he give a reason? Does he ever? Let's move over to a desk that does not get a lot of attention. That is the X-Men desk. This is a speaking of clickbait. Here we go. <laughs> right. The only thing better than one saber tooth is an army of saber tooths or sabers tooth or saber teeth. I don't know. Saber tooths. I think I'd say I, th- I like sabers tooth, but you know, <laughs> Marvel has announced the quote unquote definitive Wolverine and saber tooth story coming in the pages of Wolverine early next year. It's titled saber tooth war. It's a 10 part story beginning in January's Wolverine number 41, running through Wolverine 50. It's going to be written by Benjamin Percy, the current writer, joined by co-writer Victor Laval, who has written a lot of the recent Sabretooth books that He's you good. may have read. He's good. Corey Smith and Jeff Shaw will be your artists. Smith is going to illustrate the Wolvie-centric issues. Shaw taking on the Sabretooth side makes it kind of seem like it'll be a, like a back-and-forth kind of thing, which is fun. Yeah. Here is Marvel's official description. It's, I'm sure this will be the solicit. Quote, It's a war decades in the making, and it kicks off when Sabretooth revives a deadly tradition with some of Logan's loved ones in the crossfire. Only this time, he has an entire army behind him. Get ready for this showdown to end all showdowns. Wolverine versus Sabretooth! It's been years since these heavy hitters have crossed paths in the Marvel Universe, but as Krakoa falls, so rises Sabretooth, and he's out for revenge. They threw Victor Creed in the pit, but he's free, and wielding an army of Sabretooths will prove once and for all why he is Logan's ultimate nemesis. I mean, they put it right there in the solicit, so it's Sabretooths, whether we like it or not. Whatever, whatever. There it is. Wolvie versus Sabretooth, man. Come on. I'm in. So, like, the deadly tradition has to be the birthday thing, right? Right. It's got to be where he kills somebody that, like, Wolverine loves on his birthday, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or he attacks him. Something like he He murders somebody that singles Wolverine out on his birthday and does something horrible. He murders somebody that Logan loves or is close to on Logan's birthday. That's it. He'd done that for years and years and years and years. Silver Fox, et cetera. You know, all go it goes back. I don't know who it is Uh, this time, but Wolverine number ten, right? That's the famous issue with with Sabretooth like holding his face down in the snow, I think is Wolverine number ten. Yes. Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm. Number ten. I don't know. 
what it means that there's going to be an army of saber tooths. Yeah. That's, I don't know how that works, uh, but... And I, like, I don't know, kind of over the whole clone thing, so I don't need a bunch of those, like... I, well, in the most recent, in, in the most recent Sabretooth book by Laval, Sabretooth figured out how to affect the psychic landscape of the pit and set himself up as like the overlord of the pit. Well, it, it was very interesting. But we also learned that's not what happened. We learned that Doug well, you know. did something. With yeah. uh, along with Krakoa, there was like I don't think punishing mutants like this is the right way to do it. So how about right, like, right? It's, when so they it's get, all Doug's fault. Basically. Yeah, when they get yeah. thrown in the pit, they have their own little version of what they think is like a normal kind of okay life. And Sabretooth was a nightmare. <laughs> and Sabretooth corrupted it and turned yes. and so basically turned the pit into hell. Yeah. And Sabretooth has the ruler of this psychic hell. So I don't know if it's going to have something to do with with that. Benjamin Percy, of all the stuff, like say what you will about Krakoa, we've talked about a lot about it, and a lot, some good, a lot bad. Wolverine, to me, has been one of the bright spots all the way through. Yeah, Ben Percy, I'm not going to say he's ignoring it, but he's definitely doing his Wolverine story regardless. And it's been yeah. good. It's been good. And he's really good with his characters. He's really good with Sabretooth. He understands Wolverine. I'm sure it's going to be something where uh, Dr. Stasis works with Orcus and like, let's make an army of saber tooths. And I mean, who knows? They'll do but, stuff for us. And they're like, no, we won't. We're going to go kill Wolverine. <laughs> like, oh, damn it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> something along those lines, regardless. But I mean, it, it sounds fun, right? I'm it in. sounds fun. Uh, I'm blanking on Corey Smith, but Jeff Shaw, who drew Buzzkill and um, Donnie Cates' Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Like that dude is, that dude is going to be a, he's the artist of the current Ghost Rider Wolverine miniseries. Like that guy, that guy is going to draw the hell out of a Wolverine. Oh, Corey Saber Smith's been doing uh, Ghost Rider. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, which is, is also written by Ben Percy. Yes, correct. And they are crossing over right now, chasing a demon. Sounds like a lot of fun during what is kind of a bummer time in the X-Men. Sticking with the X desk. The news is in, kids. Nightcrawler has two moms. So get ready for uh, some. Uh, I'll explain. For nearly two decades now, Nightcrawler fans have been picketing the Marvel offices over their decision to make Nightcrawler's daddy a red skinned demon mutant. We're still not real clear. Ruler of a hell dimension named Azazel. Now, it sure looks like the controversial choice is being retconned in the pages of X-Men Blue Origins, a November one-shot written by Cy Spurrier with art by Wilton Santos and Marcus Toe promising, quote, the truth behind Nightcrawler's birth once and for all. The announcement emphasizes the century-long romance between Mystique and her wife, Destiny which hints that Marvel may honor Chris Claremont's original intention to reveal the couple as Nightcrawler's true parents. Now, Odin only knows how that will work exactly, but we'll all find out when the issue is released on November 29th. Does this mean, and I'm just doing math here, I'm not trying to offend anyone. This is not a political statement by any stance. I'm just going to get out the chalkboard, and we're going to map it out. Yeah. Mystique. Yes. Shape changer. Can yes. turn into a man. We've seen it happen lots of times, right? Well, she can look like a man. Yeah. Yes. When she does that. Mm -hmm. 
does she have male gonads that produce sperm needed <laughs> to fertilize an egg? And yeah. does that mean that Mystique had the baby? Or, no, pardon me, does that mean that Mystique got Destiny pregnant and Destiny is Nightcrawler's mom? Or did Mystique, I don't even know, okay, make herself right. so, pregnant? Uh, like, uh, yeah, it just broke stumbled. down. It broke down so, bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is, a, this is a theory that I posited when this news first dropped. We talked about it a little bit on the Discord. And my theory was that Mystique can change shape so completely that she can alter her own genetic code into that of a male that can father children. And that, and my, so my theory is that they are going to make Mystique Nightcrawler's dad and Destiny Nightcrawler's mom. Okay. And, uh, and that, you know, that says a lot that there's a lot of implications there, you know, about like all sorts of things, right? Political and otherwise, but, that makes a little more sense and Mystique gets herself pregnant. <laughs> well, right. Or, or um, shape changes a baby in her belly and then that baby comes out and is not a shape changer, you know? No, and, <laughs> I, I, and so, like, I don't know, like, so that raises a lot of questions, foremost, first and foremost of which is, can Marvel be trusted to thread that needle in such a way that it is sensitive, uh, that it is sensitive to all of the very real world concerns and implications. I mean, I think and at some point though, don't you have to say like, Hey, this is a mutant shape changer. Shut up everybody. <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, yes, I yes. And no, I think, but uh, I, I think that if you have a character that can tr- basically transition at will, making her yeah. a true trans- transgender being, like gender fluid in a literal sense, sure, right? Sure. That 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 means something to a lot of people. And I do can Marvel be trusted to tell a story like that in a way that is sensitive to those concerns? I don't know if they are. And so it might be just more of like a you know, family is what you make it kind of thing where the genetic, like Nightcrawler's genetic parentage doesn't matter so much. Right, right. Which, fine. And, uh, I'm fine with just, that. Uh, right, I'm fine with that too, but I like when you, when you say stuff like the truth behind Nightcrawler's parentage will be revealed once and for all. Right. That implies... Uh, uh, that implies a lot. Well, it implies and, somebody is not his parent that we thought was right. And it, it, impli- it implies that Az- it implies first and f- first and last that Azazel is not his father. Not necessarily. They could flip this whole script and be like, Mystique's not his mom at all. Okay. Don't take that off the board. We don't know. Maybe, maybe Azazel's his dad, his dad and destiny's his mom. Yeah. We don't know at all. The point being is the oh. one thing that I am hoping for is that when this is said and done, Azazel is not dead. I don't care how it happens. Uh, I'll take it a step further. I don't, I mean, I'd like them to be sensitive, but I don't think they're going to go out of the way to like completely offend anybody. But if they, even if they drop the ball a little bit, better than Azazel being dead. <laughs> right, right. Like, uh, I, I think that, uh, I think that a little bit better yeah. is better than nothing. Exactly. Right? Exactly. You know, it, there, there is the famous saying that like sometimes, 
half a loaf is worse than no loaf at all. Sure. Like, which means that like, maybe you're better off not being fed Yeah. in some cases. And may, and that is true. I mean, unless you just really I, like loaves and that's your thing. So you really like loaves. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think in the case of Nightcrawler and Azazel being his dad, I think anything that undoes that piece of shit is going to be better. Even if it's not quite as successful as we want it to Agreed. be. Agreed. Agreed. And as, but yeah, I'll be very, very interested to see how this all shakes out on uh, November 29th, Whew. for sure. Oh, yeah. We've got some sad stuff to report next here in the Ziggurat. Bone creator Jeff Smith is recovering from cardiac arrest. Well, but this is good news because he's okay. He's, he's recovering. recovering. Yeah. Well, I don't know how okay, I don't know how okay he is, but... But yeah, so send some good vibes, thoughts, or prayers, Jeff Smith's way, whatever, you know, how, whatever form that takes for you. Uh, the beloved creator had a heart attack earlier this week. It may have been, it may have been last no, week. No, it was this week. Time. It was early. It was oh, like, okay. Yeah, it was like Tuesday. Uh, but according to, according to Twitter, he's recovering, and uh, but he does have to cancel the rest of his Tukey book tour for the year. So, it, I mean, it's not just that he had a heart attack, but he, he suffered cardiac arrest, which is a very, very big deal. Uh, while you're sending those good vibes, like, let's all go pick up a copy of Tukey or grab a new edition of Bone while we're at it, you know? Give a gift to a kid. Do something positive with it and show some support for Smith. He's a THN favorite around here. He needs help. Back in episode 638, we reviewed Tukey along with our buddy Wooly Toots for Take a Look, It's in a Book. We loved it. Bone is a, a treasure, a comic book treasure. And yeah, so please show some support for Jeff Smith during this time. We uh, wish him all the best as he recovers, and we're glad he's still with us. In sad news, legendary Marvel inker Dan Green passed away. Walt Simonson has reported that legendary inker Dan Green crossed over the Rainbow Bridge earlier this month. We're just finding out about it this week. Green's career spanned more than four decades, during which he worked on DC and Marvel's most iconic characters, perhaps best known for a six-year-long run as inker and finisher on Uncanny X-Men, working with artists like John Romita Jr., Mark Silvestri. In Marvel's post-remembering Green, they said, quote, in the world of comic book artistry, finishers complete initial storytelling breakdowns that are sparse in terms of details and tight illustration. Green worked extensively as a finisher rather than just an inker, doing extensive drawing and tightening of the pages on which he worked as well as providing the final polished inks. In addition, Green was an accomplished artist in his own right. He served a brief stint as artist on Doctor Strange in 1983 and later worked on the fully painted graphic novel Doctor Strange Into Shambhala with writer J.M. DeMattius in 1986. I love that graphic novel so much. <laughs> yeah. You know, when um, when the news hit that he passed, uh, I tweeted something and it's that, you know, when I was a young fan, I was finally starting to like recognize and identify the names of different creators. Dan Green's name was one of the first names that I learned to spot. I was like, oh, Dan Green. He was a workhorse. That's why. The dude was everywhere. I included that quote from Marvel because there's always, we often talk 
on the show about like what does it mean when an artist just does layouts or is credited for as a finisher or whatever and it's it is it's this finishers take sparse breakdowns and actually turn them into the beautiful drawings that we love yeah and that was what dan green did he wasn't just an inker he was a true artist and he touched a lot of characters and worked on a lot of books that we've all loved and this is a really big loss like he had a huge career r.i.p dan green Before we get out of here, let's touch on some smaller stories for our bullet point rapid fire reactions. That's right, boys and girls. It's time for Ludicrous Speed News. Ludicrous Speed. Go! Joe Patrick Titan is bringing back the classic Savage Sword of Conan magazine in full magazine format. Let me ask you a question. Black and white. Tough enough to sell regular oh, size comic books. Do people still want to buy magazine size comics? <laughs> you know, this is the sort of this is the sort of news story where my heart wins out over my head because I I think it's so cool. It's rad. It's super rad that they are resurrecting. Like I I have such fond memories of going to grocery stores or Walmart or wherever with my parents and they the store had a magazine rack and Savage Sword of Conan would be there. And I would just like look at all these Conan stories that should not be at child height. So you think this is going to be like at Lowe's right next to Mad Magazine? On yeah, their yeah, weird right. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, no, it won't be. But like, I, I love that. I love that they're bringing back this classic Conan staple. Magazines, comic book magazines are a real tough sell. Yeah. Good luck, guys. So <laughs> fingers crossed for them. Good though. luck. I think it's rad, though. Matt Bomb, get excited because Jason Aaron is jumping ship from Marvel to DC for a six-issue Batman in Space miniseries with Doug Monkey. Exciting. I'm very excited. Um, I'm more excited for Doug Mankey. I'm not saying I don't like Jason Aaron. I really like Jason Aaron. It's just been a while since I've been excited to read Jason Aaron's superhero stuff. <laughs> oh, it says DC Return, not DC Debut. That's yeah. my fault. Oh, that's all right. Okay. The last time we saw Jason Aaron in DC, 2008. It has been a Fif- long time. 15 years ago that was is the official number. The Joker Asylum one Penguin one-shot. I don't even remember what was going on with that Joker Asylum stuff at the time. Joker's Asylum was just a series of one-shots oh, okay. about That's Batman, all it was. Batman films. Fair yeah, enough. I don't, even, I don't even think it had an overarching story. The art looks amazing. It's Batman in space. It's a mini-series. They can really do whatever they want. I just I hope Aaron reigns it in a little bit and doesn't go full-on Avengers. That's all I'm saying. Just rein it in. Rein it in a little. So DC is calling this Batman's first solo journey into space in the modern era. Now, again, all of these like semantic qualifiers, I, I don't know. Like when I first read this, I thought it was a flashback story, but it might not be. No, it's not. It might be set. It might be set in the present day. Oh, hold on. No, no, no. Quote from DC, a routine night in Gotham City for a young Batman proves to be anything but routine when oh. the crime fighter is confronted with a sort of foe he's never faced before, one from beyond the stars. A universe of possible alien threats leads Batman to make a daring decision 
to venture alone into the far reaches of the cosmos for the very first time where the Dark Knight will face the fight of his life. So, yeah, this is a story about young Batman. His first. Going into space for the first time. Space. And it looks like a new bad guy. I don't recognize this bad guy at all in the picture. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't know that guy either. I, I, I'm sure it's a new, I, I'm sure it's a new character. Gotta be. I don't know. We'll see. I just, like I said, Mr. Aaron, please just rein it in a little. 10%. 10%. I mean, it's a six issue mini. It's a six issue mini. <laughs> like how, good. like. How crazy could it get? Joe Patrick, the Riverdale finale aired this weekend, and it was a multiversal affair, complete with the reveal, possibly even more shocking, that Archie, Jughead, Veronica, and Betty were all in a polyamorous relationship. Did you watch? Are you upset Riverdale's gone? And I would argue this doesn't even crack the top 100 most shocking things that they have done on this show in the last seven seasons. So. <laughs> um, well, it's it's not an implication or a theory or a hint. Like, it is flat out stated in the finale that that's the case, that these four were in a relationship for the, for the remainder of their time. They're like... Yeah, they got they 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 got shunted to the past of a different dimension, like an alternate 1950s. Like so, it's like the old comics, right? Yeah. And and the revelation was that like they had to be stuck there, reliving it for all time. I guess. <laughs> which is kind of an homage to the idea that Archie is forever a teenager and blah blah blah. But it's, also it's, very Twilight Zone and disturbing, right? <laughs> it is insane. It is insane. But like you said. Archie has dealt with uh, Riverdale, pardon me, has dealt with serial killers, uh, demons, magical powers. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, this isn't even the first time they've done alternate universes. No. There was Like, last season was called River Vale, and it was all about, like, a what-if version of Riverdale. <laughs> and it's so, yeah. It's, it, like you said, it's not even in the top ten strangest things. No. That have happened say what show. you will about Riverdale. Okay, I'm not going to come out and say it was a it's a good show, but I'm also not going to say it's a bad show. I'm going to say that show took risks. That show was not afraid to 100%. fuck around and find out what happens. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I 100% agree I will with give, you. And yeah, I, it's, good I risk, it's good cheeseburger viewing. I'll say that. I respect Riverdale and Roberto Aguirre Sacasa for kind of taking these swings. Yeah. And and making it happen. Like, seven seasons is nothing to slout, uh, to sneeze at. Like, it, it, it wasn't just that they took chances. It's that they took chances and were rewarded. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it's it's nuts. But it's, it's also, that's Archie. If you look at the history of Archie. Right. Archie has been a superhero. Archie has been a far future time traveler. Betty and Veronica, in a story like 60 years ago, sold their souls to the devil. Yeah. That's not a joke. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's Archie Comics in a nutshell. Yeah, this is barely new territory for Arch. Great job, guys. You did it. Finally, Matt, good news for Baldur's Gate 3 fans. It did launch with bugs, but don't worry. In the latest patch release, they addressed over 300 issues, including two big ones that stopped me from buying the game. Notably, penises C and D no longer clip through some of the Githyanki clothing. Okay, that would have and, driven me insane. <laughs> I know. And male gnome sorcerers are no longer missing their undies. Because that, so, was, that was flat out just perverted. <laughs> if those bugs have been a deal breaker for you guys in the past, don't worry, Baldur's Gate 
developers have patched the genitalia bugs. Get on board, Baldur's Gate 3. They fixed the dicks. There you go. Baldur's Gate 3, <laughs> we fixed the dicks. That is your nerd news recap, but there's always more to discuss. You can join us in our gang hang on Saturdays from 11 to noon. We just got done with one. It was great. Or post in our nerd news channel on the THN Discord. You know what else we talk about in our Discord? The question of the week. Joe Patrick, unveil our new question. This week's question is courtesy of Brian Domingos, THN's recent review of the new Eve Ewing Black Panther and its new status quo and a new Wakandan city had me thinking about other fictional cities. What is your favorite version of a famous fictional location? Doesn't have to be comic book. I'm saying we got all week. We got an infinite discord to talk about it in. Anything's fair game. Your favorite fictional location and your favorite version of that location. And hey, if you've got an idea for a fictional city of your own, lay it on us. This week, the Cosmic Longbox returns, and it's having us dive deep into the Blue Beetle mythos. Joe Patrick will be handling the Ted Cord side. I will be handling the Jaime Reyes side. I know very little about this character. So I'm excited. Get to know Jaime. And you are going to uh, teach me a little more you, about Ted all you Dan, uh, All you Dan Garrett fans can kick rocks. Yeah, go to hell. Nobody cares about Dan Garrett. Golden Age Blue Beetle, nobody <laughs> gives a shit about him. Until next time, Jew Believers, my name is Matt Bum. And I am the Internet's Joe Patrick. And this is your THN Nerd News Recap. Signing off. couldn't care less there's also a very confusing scene where bucky's cat kills a member of the outer circle and i can't stop thinking about it <laughs> the cat kills the guy right i think that's slashes him in the face slashes him in the face kicks him in the butt i mean i'm looking at the, it again and now. then the guy is dead i'm looking at it again now and like i guess they're implying that he was surprised and he fell and died because if not yeah the cat just killed but fe- like fell from fell on fell from a height no I, did well, he fall on something he, was he crushed no he fell and there was a crunch there's a giant crunch that's all i can tell you there, the <laughs> cat the cat kicks him there's a crunch sound and the man is dead it, that's that's all I know. That is all that is clear. I will say yeah. that. <laughs> so I guess Bucky's cat has, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I really wish that the Cold War crossover hadn't taken all of the momentum of Sentinel of Liberty away. At best, it was a mediocre event that means nothing in the long run. And at worst, it's a story that soured my enjoyment of the rest of this series, which I was loving. And that's not even to mention Marvel's marketing of the next era of Cap stories months before this one ended. As much as I enjoyed this era of Captain America up to that point, Cold War ruined it and this finale just felt kind of hollow to me. An unnecessary ending to a story that I had already put out of my mind months ago. Really lovely art by Carmen Carnero, though. I'm giving it a skim it because, I mean... If you skipped Cold War, you're going to want to read this issue. Are you? If you, skip- I mean, yeah, because no. it's the finale of the Century War thing. But you don't, you don't need to read it. If you skipped Cold War, whatever, just be well, done. Be- 
but this is the end of the story that was running up until Cold War. I nothing guess. that happened in Cold Nothing that happened in Cold War is really reflected here except for Sharon became the destroyer. Okay, here's my problem. More than a quarter of this and maybe less than half is stuff that we already saw happen in other comic books. Right? I mean, like that whole end fight, they they basically do it again here. And then we get well, the fight extra. was the fight was with the white wolf. It, the the fight we saw before was with the white wolf, and now this is with you know I mean, the other whatever. This fa- nameless, faceless schlubs. This felt like I agreed. This just felt like rehashing of the end of a bad crossover that was marketed as a big thing, but don't worry. We're just waiting until the next thing starts. I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know if it's marketing. I legit love these writers. The art is very good. There is no reason I can think of that I needed to read this comic. I felt fine just being done. I'm giving this a leave it. I just, and Uh, and I think it's the fault of a lot of things. I think it's the fault of the marketing, of the story, the way that it was crushed. And like you said, it's just like, we're just rehashing this again, but from a slightly different angle and like, Oh, here's the other big fight. Like who cares? Who cares? So just follow with me here. If you were reading captain America, Sentinel of Liberty and you saw the, and you saw the crossover coming and you did not want to read the crossover and you just skipped the crossover. You would still want to read this issue to read the conclusion, the resolution of the outer circle story. But that's just it. I didn't because the crossover spoiled me so much on the other story that I that's just went, you though. And that's why this is a skim it. No, but because that's not somebody else out there might not feel the same way. That's not just me because like the Bucky stuff that's going on in here, I already learned what was behind it and didn't buy it and didn't feel good about it. And I just didn't need more of this. I didn't need it at all. It looks perfectly good, but there's no reason to spend money on this comic book. It's a leave okay. it from me. But, but I, okay. And that's fine. I'm not going to try to talk you out of it, but a skim it to me means I didn't really need this, but you might like it. So it's a skim it. There's enough about this particular comic that somebody might like it. The cat. It's not thing? a bad comic book. You're good with the cat thing. <laughs> that's not my main problem. The cat, the cat thing is weird. I get it. But that's like three panels in a, in a 50 page comic. So. Everybody loves a killer cat, but let's talk about a killer bird for a minute here with Penguin, number one, from DC. It's 32 pages, three ninety nine. It's written by Tom King, with cover and art by Raphael De La Torre, colors by Marcelo Maiolo, and letters by Clayton. Don't call him VC's cows. He's not VC here either. What's going on? I think he defected. I think he's out, Joe. <laughs> Maybe it's not him. <laughs> a different Clayton Cowles? Oh, it still That's says Clayton Cowles. Also oh, it's still a Clayton. comic letter. <laughs> it's it's still Clayton Cowles. Yeah, but he didn't. He doesn't oh, go oh, by oh, DC sorry. here. I don't know what's going on. I don't well, know. the way the way the script it it just I see letters by Clayton. Don't call him feces. Yeah, I, I think he walked. Sorry. I think he walked, bro. Here's your solicit. Revenge is for the birds. After retiring to Metropolis following his quote unquote death, Oswald Cobblepot finds himself forced back into the unpredictable and violent Gotham City underworld as a pawn of the United States intelligence community. Gotham's criminal element has been evolving since he was last in the city with its 
with his bastard twin children ruling the Iceberg Lounge, and what of the man he framed for his death? Batman! Is the Penguin walking into a death sentence? From award-winning and best-selling writer Tom King, who worked on Batman and The Human Target, and artist Raphael De La Torre, who worked on Daredevil, comes a bloody, hard-boiled tale of redemption and revenge. Tom King steps away from his black label corner to tell an incontinuity penguin. The Tom King averse. The Tom King averse. Yes. About Oswald Cobblepot out to get his revenge. But of course there's a twist. King pulls a Tarantino showing how the story ends in the first couple of pages and then flashes back to the story of Penguin's return. As usual, his pacing is masterful and paired with Taylor Torrey's thin line, expressive art, it looks like we're going to get an investigation into what makes the Penguin the survivor that he is and what he's willing to do to protect what is his. Mayolo's color palette is muted for the most part, while those watching the Penguin refuse to believe that he's actually, quote unquote, retired, but it explodes in bright reds with the short, violent moments of the story. While De La Torre's Penguin looks a little closer to Colin Farrell's portrayal of the character in the most recent Batman movie, it doesn't come off as like a forced change, but rather a legitimate new chapter of Oswald Cobblepot's life. Well, I actually thought that that was pretty hilarious because yeah. the artist that drew his death uh, made him look like Danny DeVito from Batman Returns. <laughs> <laughs> While last week's Penguin Zero wasn't bad, Chip Zdarsky's take on the Cobblepot's character and the tone of the comic was so different from this one and <laughs> what King is building. Yeah. I am mm. much more excited to see where this goes. And like found myself scratching my head after I read that zero issue went, what is <laughs> robot like lawyers and shit. What are we doing here? I'm giving this a huge buy it though. This issue was fantastic. Not enough robot lawyers. Leave it. <laughs> uh, no, I, I agree. I like, I have no idea how you, bridge the gap between penguin zero and penguin number one. It makes no sense, Yeah, but it also doesn't have to, like, it doesn't matter. I suppose. Um, uh, this is gritty, man. It's, it's, it's very grim and it's barely a superhero comic. Like Batman's in it, I guess, technically, but well, only kind of the title and, is the penguin. So there you go. And I understand. Like I get, but right. It's, but it's it, like, you could excise all of the superhero elements out of this book and it would probably still read pretty much the same. Yeah. And um, that's a good thing. That's a compliment. I, I really liked this. You know, Tom King is hit and miss with me, especially when he's working within the confines of the DC universe. Um, this follows directly from his miniseries Killing Time, which I missed. And this made me want to go back and read that because uh, a character in this book was introduced in that miniseries. And that miniseries was great. I, yes, I heard nothing but good things about it. I just, I, I missed it. This was fantastic. Uh, I, I kind of, I'm a, I have a, a soft spot for stories where the villain just wants to go away. Like, just let him go away. Right? But, you, but they won't let him. But I don't. They won't let him. I, like, I, I love stories like that. Where I the villain just wants to go away and make a life for himself, but they won't let him. And maybe that's what's happening. Or maybe he is just waiting for that thing that he knows so. is going to snap him right back. And he's no, just I don't think he, I don't it. think, 
I don't think that this, I don't think that he wanted anything that happened in this book. I think they pushed him and pushed him and pushed him until he went wah and grabbed an umbrella. I don't know, man. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that he was happy with the life that he made in Metropolis and uh, they stole it from him. Don't disagree. Uh, regardless, regardless of your read on it, yeah, like it's fantastic. It is a buy it. Have no fear. The penguin's here. <laughs> I beg your pardon, sir, but Matt, if you can tell me what Swart is the sunshine, then for summers after means I'll give you five bucks right now. I'll tell you what, Samen Sigfinson is my favorite rapper, so I know exactly what it means. <laughs> <laughs> this can only mean that we are talking about the immortal Thor number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Al Ewing with art by Martin Kokolo, colors by Matthew Wilson. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. I think it's safe to say that more comics this week were lettered by VC than not. Scandal. As far as THN did, is concerned. Did Sabino come in and take Cowell's position? No, there is no scandal. Oh, oh there's a scandal. Cover here, here. By, uh, cover here by Alex Ross. It's 56 pages for 599 Son of a bitch, Sabino. <laughs> He's a real scab, that Sabino. Here's your solicit. Al Ewing, Martin Kokolo, and Alex Ross give the God of Thunder the immortal treatment. In Norse myths, they call him Thunderer. Viewer, has he been called, and Horidi. The gods know him as Asgard's king, keeper of Mjolnir, hero of the tales. When injustice grips the earth and ancient powers bring down the sky, he fights for those who cannot. And when the tale is done, we will know what that cost him. This is the story of the immortal Thor. Plus a bonus page written by Jonathan Hickman. Who are the gods? <laughs> it would be a mistake going into the immortal Thor, expecting it to have the same vibe as the body horror nightmare that was the immortal Hulk. Where I think it will be similar is in how Al Ewing uses completely unexpected methods to change the way we look at an iconic character. In this issue, the air is thick with big, crazy, Norse jogging-like viewer and Floridi. As Ewing reestablishes a swart, as Ewing reestablishes a baseline for Thor and his supporting cast. He's in that dashing Kirby costume again. The Warriors 3, scratch that, make it four. Sif and Loki are all here. It's everything you want in a Thor comic. But then. There are dark secrets hiding under the surface as Loki gives Asgard a gift. And there's an edge to Thor that maybe wasn't there before as he convinces a group of frost giants to run with nothing but his normal speaking voice. And we start to learn the horrible lesson that there's something far greater to fear than gods. The art by Martin Kokolo and Matt Wilson simply... Oh, I see what I remember now. The art by Martin Kokolo and Matt Wilson simply appears to be really well-executed superhero art at first. But then they deliver some truly jaw-dropping pages as the story's real threat starts to emerge. None of Thor's body parts get cut off and put into jars in the Immortal Thor number one, but Ewing and Kokolo promise a similar deconstruction of not only Thor, but of myth itself. In the months to come, this gets a huge buy it. It's awesome. Yeah, Al Ewing. Now, it, I loved the the last run of Thor. It kind of fell off towards the end by no one's fault. It was what it was. Never read know? it. But 
the magic has been missing for a while. You know, like the big crazy Asgardian magic and Ewing was like, no problem. Here it is. <laughs> like brought it right back. This had it all. The art was incredible. Thor's in his old costume. The lightning is back. He's commanding storms. He's messing with ice giants. Like, this is Thor, baby. If you like Thor, I got a comic book for you. Huge buy it from me. This was fantastic. Al Ewing, man. That dude, I don't think he struck out yet. Other than it's that weird so fr- shit that so he did good. with the Masked Rider, which just never really worked. <laughs> other, I mean, you Other know. than that. You can find links in our show notes for more details on these comics, but now it's time to pick the one issue that had just enough dark secrets, X-Men, or spaces for us to name it the best. Which one of these comics are you putting in the THN permanent collection, Matthew Bomb? Ugh, it's either Thor or Penguin, and it's really hard for me to choose. I think I'm going to go... Penguin? I think I'm going with the Penguin, because I think it's way harder in my opinion, to write a comic book like The Penguin, starring The Penguin, with very little Batman and no superheroes, and make it as compelling as it was. I think writing Thor and but doing it this way... was your favorite comic of the week? Like, you always do this. You get these little rules like, oh, it's harder to do this, or we already get enough of that. But that's, that's not the point of this exercise. I think I got to give it the to The exercise is what was the your exercise favorite? exercise was I was so surprised by how much I enjoyed The Penguin and how much harder I think it is to pull that off than it is to write a kick-ass Thor book. I'm giving it to The Penguin. I'm doing it. Try okay, and Okay, well, me. that's... That's dumb. Um, Going out with a bang, it is Thor. The Immortal Thor, 100%. There were other great books that I read this week. Penguin was certainly one of them. The Immortal Thor knocked my socks off. I I thought it was so good. And And even I am guilty of thinking a certain way when... You tell me that Al Ewing is following up The Immortal Hulk with a book called The Immortal Thor. Sure, sure. And of course it wasn't going to be what we were all thinking. It's going to be something completely different. And it's off to such a great start. And boy, oh boy, this is going to be the book that makes Martin Kokolo a star. Yeah, he's definitely on the map now. No question. I mean, the dude's insane. He's so good. Joe, now that Thor isn't wearing his cosmic Rooney costume anymore, this is the perfect chance for us to bulk up and dress as Cosmic Thor for Halloween. We've got just over two months, and I've got a line on a shitload of mutant growth hormone. So let's head up to our Sanctum Sanctorum and get those pants off so I can give you your first injection. But while I wipe your bottom with a tiny little alcohol toilet, why don't you distract yourself from the little pinch that's coming by telling the listeners about your must-read pick for next week, NCBD Wednesday, August 30th. I believe it's pronounced toilet. Toilet. I think it's toilet. It's not an alcohol toilet. <laughs> Man, I wish I had an alcohol toilet. Let me tell you. Oh, boy, oh, boy. That sounds like my kind of party. That would save so much time. Uh, gross. My pick for next week is The Devil's Cut, one shot from Distillery. It's written and drawn by Various. It's 72 beefy boy pages for $9.99. Here is your solicit. 
The Devil's Cut is your introduction to Distillery, a new publisher redefining creator-owned comics. In the aging process, the whiskey that evaporates is called the Angel's Share. But the most potent spirits are captured in the wood, the Devil's Cut. This is the Devil's Cut. Unfiltered stories from the most fearless creators offering a distinct taste of the quality to come. 72 oversized pages printed on premium paper featuring a flight of high-proof work. Wow, the, the metaphors are heavy. Keep from our founding creators, including Scott Snyder, James Tinian IV, Tula Lote, Mirka Andolfo, Jock, Becky Cloonan, Brian Azzarello, Mark Bernard, and Elsa Charitier, Lee Garbett, Joelle Jones, Stephanie Phillips, Ram V, Jamie McKelvey, Junko Mizuno, and friends, including Francesco Fregavilla, Ariella Cristantina, Eduardo Rizzo, Christian Ward, and more. They really just named all of them. Man, I feel Edited sorry for and more though. Like you didn't get on that more. list. <laughs> I mean, there you know, there, I don't hear, I don't see Probably a various anywhere there. in there. Uh, edited by the legendary Will Dennis. This kickoff issue will never be reprinted in this format again. Now, what that means exactly, time will tell. We had a nice discussion with Chip Mosier on our very own Discord. Shout out to the Discord and a reason for you to go join it if you haven't. Uh, we've had some laughs at distillery's expense, joking about their business model or not understanding their business model. Chip very wisely stepped in and say, hey, look, all the answers are forthcoming. Don't you sweat it. Trust me. It's all going to make sense. And you can't argue with this lineup of creators. And so this is the first taste of what devil, uh, what distillery has in store for good or for ill next week. We're going to see what they're all about. Yeah, we're going to find out. My pick for next week, it's a Batman crossover because I can't resist them. It's Batman, Catwoman, the Gotham War, Battle Lines, number one from DC, 48 pages. That title, where are the colons and the, and the you don't need hashes? It's too violent. You don't need them. <laughs> it's 48 pages for $5.99. This is written by Chip Zdarsky and Teeny Howard with art by Mike Hawthorne. Why did I, why did I do that? There we go. Here's your solicit. The Bat-Cat War starts here! Crime is down in Gotham City. Could that be a bad thing? A coordinated effort in Gotham has led to a reduction in violent crime, but at what cost? Villains scatter as their lives begin to crumble under a new regime, and Batman recovers from his epic battle through the multiverse and the horrors of night terrors. One name runs through his mind. One name at the heart of his new, safer Gotham. Catwoman! A conflict that's been brewing for well over a year finally hits the streets and it will fracture the Bat family as war erupts from best-selling writers Ship Zdarsky and Teeny Howard and artists Mike Hawthorne and Adriano Di Benedetto comes the opening shot in the Gotham War. This is the one we've been talking about. Catwoman's going to be your new kingpin of crime in Gotham and, uh, we're going to find out if she's actually bad or they're faking the whole thing. I don't know. I think we had a nerd. Well, I mean, this, apparently she must have been the kingpin of crime for a while now because this is like it's come to a head, right? Uh, well, crime, crime is down, I guess. I mean, sort of. I don't know. It happened kind of quick. Man, I don't know. <laughs> Neither one of us read Catwoman. It happened so, kind of uh, quick, know. you know. Yeah. Boy, I, I'm glad you're excited. I don't care about this at all. <laughs> I don't, I'm more I excited don't. for this than Night Terrors. Jesus, anything else. <laughs> well, you're in luck. Night Terrors is over yep. next week.
The THN trade of the week for August 30th is Avengers, the Kang Dynasty. It's a trade paperback from Marvel Comics. It's written by Kurt Busiek with art by Alan Davis and Various. It's 408 pages for $39.99. Here's your solicit. Kang's ultimate triumph. The time-traveling warlord called Kang the Conqueror returns, and this time he plans to enslave all of Earth. The only thing standing in his way is its mightiest heroes. Time and time again, Kang has been a thorn in the Avengers' side, but now the Conqueror has gathered all of his vast legions from multiple eras to conquer the present once and for all. Can an expanded roster of Avengers, including returning members and new recruits, wage worldwide war and hold back the colossal forces arrayed against them? Or will they face defeat and subjugation beneath Kang's merciless boot? Kurt Busiek, one of the most celebrated Avengers writers of all time, crafts an epic clash between the heroes and their most dangerous foe. This collects Avengers Volume 3 from 1998, issues 41 through 55, and material from Avengers Annual 2001. So, Joe, you might be asking, why did you pick this trade? I'm asking that. I, you know, I've never read this. Never read it. Okay, well, uh, this is Kurt Busiek's final story okay. on his Avengers run, and it is a mammoth epic. I mean, look at it. It's 14 issues plus an annual. Sure. And so it's a, it's a long one, man. It is kind of the definitive Kang story of... Uh, the first definitive Kang story of the modern age okay. of the, of the late nineties, early two thousands, like modern age. Because if you think about it, the last big Kang story before this one is the one where they reveal that Tony Stark had secretly been brainwashed and he died and came back as a teenager. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, that's, so that's yeah, true. this is Kurt Busiek kind of redeeming Kang as a character and showing why he is one of the Avengers most fearsome enemies and alan davis kieran dwyer on art like it's, it's a gorgeous storyline yeah we might have to slack issues this one like right before loki season two comes out or something so I've i'm never, into it i've never I'm, read it i'm all for it if you want to do it okay you want to feel our merciless boot in your butt then you nerds better tell us what you're reading next week let us know over at our discord and be sure to put these comics on your pull list damn it so you can read along with us now you won't be able to put Joe's comic on your pull list because I don't think it's out in print next week. It's only in digital. But no, I think it's out in print. Oh, I think I thought it was digital first, then print. Like, no, it's on. It's printed on premium paper. It was oh, in this list. Okay, good. good. I, I think it's only available. It's only available digitally for that first week, and oh, then there's right. that marketplace. And thing. then we get to fight for it. In, and in then the yeah, it's Thunderdome. Of their uh, that's the, the yeah. again. That's the part that Chip swears will make sense. <laughs> As soon as but, they yeah, figure no, this, it out. This comes out in print. <laughs> this comes out in print. Before we shut this episode down, you're in luck, nerd. Yes, you. Because you get a sneak peek of the amazing content that you get access to when you support THN on Patreon for as little as $1 per month. I mean, you're not as lucky as the people that do support us on Patreon yeah, for a dollar no, month because could, they get the whole thing. You could pay to be that. That's the thing. But yeah, <laughs> if you if you want to be a little bit more lucky, kick us a dollar. 
I figured when you were old enough, I'd talk to you about comic books. Tell you to stay away from the garbage that pushes that junk. I'm so high! Nothing can hurt me! No! Welcome to your THN Extra, the Comic Pushers edition, where we are back. And this time, we're slinging some highly, highly addictive X product from the 90s and, uh... Early 2000s. 2006, that's still early, right? The 90s and, and beyond. Sure. 90s and beyond, yes. About a about a 14-year gap, let's say. Fair enough. One of our favorite Discord junkies came in looking for some X-Books. His name is Mark Stern. Here's what he had to say. All right. I'm firmly on board with stating I'm a fan of the Claremont era. Excessive accents and thought balloons and all. And then I followed along until around 93 when I stopped collecting altogether. So... I have this massive. Em- he became a hockey dork. Is that what it was? He became. He got yes, too busy. He stopped and became collecting a hockey comics dork? and got heavy into hockey. Okay. And, and I was so. You can do both. I was into hockey and comics at the time. And yet he did not. <laughs> I had a whole conversation with him last night about how the dude never watched Batman the animated series. Matt, really? That is crazy. Let's, let's not get into it. That's a whole separate segment. He just let hockey ruin everything, huh? So what he wants to know. I have this massive empty gap from between 1993 and 2006 when I came back into the fold. So what are the essential reads for the X-Books in that gap? Luckily, not a whole lot. Only 14 years worth of comics like we discussed. So real easy to catch up on. (laughs) Only 14 years worth of comics. And really, by X-Men standards, that's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, truly. (laughs) Yeah. That's not even the length of a Claremont run. Now- I started thinking about this and going, oh man, there's a lot of great stuff in the 90s that I would totally recommend that I loved. But early 2000s X-Men seemed really sparse until I dug into it a little bit and went, no, there's still a lot of like really good fun stuff that was going on there. So mm, I mean, there was some it, garbage. Don't get me something, wrong. Something uh, like 2001, there's a sea change. And, and that's something that we kind of almost look at that as a completely separate entity from what I would call the garden variety X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll get into that when we get to that era. So let, how you want to do this? You want to tackle, we've got some, we got some runs to talk about and we've got some individual story arcs and issues to talk about. So let's start with the runs in the nineties first let's, and I'll take you, I'll follow your lead. So one of my favorite X-Men runs of all time is Scott Lobdell's run. It was him and Joe Mataria was on most of it. There was a few of the, like Roger Cruz is on some of it. I loved his X stuff too. <laughs> Joe, Joe Mad took a lot of breaks. Yeah, but he did. He was on the book. Uh, basically, he was the primary penciler from issue 312 through issue 350. Lobdell started writing the book regularly with issue 286. So... Yeah, off and on, Joe Mad was a co- pretty constant presence. Uh, like you said, Roger Cruz. Other yeah. people. There's a, a great Lee Weeks issue with uh, Emma Frost in, in Iceman's body. Ooh, you know, there's all kinds of I crazy I forgot about stuff. that one. That's a great one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where we learned that Iceman is so much more powerful than he ever expected. Like, that was the issue that was like, oh, maybe Iceman's not a joke. Look that one up while I'm looking at some other stuff here. But, like... This is also the crew that was working on, we're going to talk about it in a minute here, events like Age of Apocalypse that everybody freaked out about and we absolutely loved, tied into both. But one of the issues that I remembered that I that jumped out instantly on Kenny X-Men 340, that was when Bobby's dad got beaten up by anti-mutant protesters. They had stuck Bobby and Sam Cannonball. They were like undercover 
working for Graydon Creed, who was running, I think, to be a senator at the time, not like president. President El Presidente. Was he running for president? Okay. I believe he was already a senator. And Graydon Creed found out that they were embedded. And so when this guy, who was Bobby's dad, started speaking out about mutant rights and stuff, he's like, oh, that's Iceman's dad. And he sent thugs to go beat the hell out of him. It was super gnarly. And oh, man. Uh, so that's well into the run. Uh, the issue I was talking about is Uncanny X-Men number 314. So you missed a lot of stuff. You missed a lot of stuff, Mark. Um, something happened in 1991, right? X-Men number one launched. He would have still been around then. He said 93 is when he when he took his break. I understand. But like, so X-Men number one launched and it was the biggest thing in the history of comic books. Sure. And then um, a counter point to that was uncanny x-men 380 i believe which is the first issue uh drawn by wills portasio wills portasio is the regular artist it's basically the x-men number one of uncanny right Right, it's it's the gold team it's like okay now we're the gold team let's do gold team shit and in that issue trevor fitzroy who is a time traveling villain from the future from bishop's time uh comes back in time to the present day and attacks the Hellfire Club, uh, which was actually like, you know, the Hellfire Club at the time, you know, people in lingerie and weird suits oh, yeah. doing rich, evil, evil rich people shit. Sex pervert shit. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 714. And next week, the Cosmic Long Box returns, forcing us to review eight back issue comics based on a theme. And this time, it's about DC box office failure. We will be reading eight comics about the Blue Beetle, which, if you're paying attention, the movie's actually very well rated. I haven't seen it yet, but audience score good. is good, it's got good ratings. And it made just about $24 million last week. <laughs> In its opening weekend. However, it did finally dethrone Barbie as the number one movie in America. Only by $3 million and Barbie in its fifth week. And I mean, that we'll, take look it where we can, so. we'll take it where we can get it, Matt. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but we're going to read about Blue Beetle. It'll be fun. If you need more THN in the meantime, join us for our THN cover to cover gang hang on Saturdays, 11 o'clock central. I will be there this week. I promise. Check out. I don't believe it. Check out our Discord for details on that. Joe Patrick, what else can these nerds do at our Discord? You can get in on the action before we even air the show on the THN Discord. We've got an episode discussion thread for just that purpose. Or maybe you want to answer the question of the week. And this one is a visual question. So pay attention. This comes courtesy of Mark Stern, a.k.a. Cuckoo Studio, on the Discord. What is the most dog-eared, well-loved comic book or graphic novel, trade, etc., that you own? If you can, take a picture of it, share it in the question of the week thread on Discord. There's already been some fun pics. I gotta dig mine out. I gotta dig, I, and I, I think I know exactly where it is. But oh like, if you're if you're not posting because you can't find the thing to take a picture, don't let that stop you. Yeah, just, just write po- the title, a, whatever. Just put up a picture of it, and yeah, put up a, any picture of it, and and talk about it, and like where it came from, what it means to you, etc. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming, like Mark did. You can sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com/discord. You can post about any of our segments on our server, or you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. 
and we'll put you on the Ding Dang Show. Yeah, send us some MP3s, you guys, about anything. I'm trying to build up, like, this listener mail thing and see if we can get that going. Send us some MP3s, will you? If you're new to this show and it's making you barf into your alcohol toilet, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast, and it wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our patron and butt attack punisher girl got a man super fan Jim Jimbo Heavey. I dare I say, we wouldn't even make this show if he wasn't a patron, all right? If you That's like true. what you hear every week, it's easy to be a pervert, just like Jim. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. I'll have you know, but attack Punisher Girl. Say no fan service book. She has agency, and she literally whips ass with her ass. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Terry Funk, R.I.P. The man just died today. Day at age 79, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. If you don't know Terry Funk, do exactly what his old tag team partner, Cactus Jack, aka Mick Foley, another one of the greatest extreme wrestlers of all time, said to do and look up Terry Funk match. You will not believe what this man put himself through. The guy was one of the best extreme wrestlers of all time, to be perfectly fair. I cannot believe he lived until 79. R.I.P. Terry Funk, one of the best there ever was. Sad day for wrestling nerds. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just swart that ass. This is the two-headed nerd swarting off. Swart attack Punisher girl got a bot, got a man. There you go. Swart attack Punisher. <laughs>